you know, there's a term here they call Mazungu. It means white person, but they call me Mazungu too, you know, because essentially they're saying you are a foreign person. You do not belong here, period. We're black. Yes. And that's great. Good for you. But we don't belong together. You are American. You belong. To, and I want them to, I want to be like, can you tell the Americans that I'm American and I'm supposed to be there? Like, could you please? Because they keep telling me to come here, but you're telling me to go back anyway. So if you're looking for that sense of that familial sense or that sense of belonging, I think you're going to be lost because I don't know if you can ever find that in a place outside of yourself. You know, this is our earth. This is our world. We're supposed to be here. Whatever our purpose is, we'll find it right here in this place. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, a business strategist and consultant from Atlanta, living and thriving in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. I'm Christine the host and creator of this here podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you so much. Y'all are wonderful. And because you're wonderful and you deserve only the best, here is an amazing episode for you. Yes. (laughs) Don't you let anyone give you some bad podcast episodes, only good podcast episodes, because y'all deserve the best. And this one is amazing. I'm biased, but you know. Um, it's still true. Still true. All right. On to the episode. Season five, episode nine. Today's episode features Nikki Faye Tillery. Nikki Faye is an internationally recognized entrepreneur and global career and lifestyle strategist whose mission is to empower women around the world to discover and pursue their passions. With years of experience in corporate America and as an entrepreneur, Nikki Faye has developed a keen eye for identifying the unique talents and strengths of her clients and guiding them towards creating successful and sustainable businesses. Now, chatting with another Atlanta girl out here in the world was an absolute delight. I really love chatting with Nikki Faye. I really adore her, and I know you all will love this episode. But I'll let Nikki Faye tell you all about it. My name is Nikki Faye. I am based in Nairobi, Kenya. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I've lived abroad uh, probably about eight years now. I originally moved uh, abroad to Colombia. Um, after that, I came over to Kenya. I left Kenya briefly and moved to South Africa. Um, after South Africa, I went to Turkey. After that, I went to Bali for a bit and then settled back in Kenya. I tried out a couple countries in between that I guess I can't really count because it didn't work out. And I was just like, eh. So 
So I didn't really live there, but I did try it out. You know, when you sample a thing, you know, <laughs> that was me. Well, I can't say the seeds were planted for me to live abroad, but they were planted for me to travel. When I was younger, we traveled a lot. We had relatives in Canada, so we went there a lot. And then we, we just traveled a lot. I, I remember one specific instance, I went to the Bahamas and there was a woman there. We went to a jewelry store. I don't know why I went to this jewelry store. I went to this jewelry store and uh, I'm not going to try to do the accent because I'm horrible at accents, but basically she said to me, listen, and she was so serious. I'm a child. <laughs> she was like, listen, I have the same eyes you have. I have been engaged seven times. I have seven children and I've never been married. So be careful because those eyes can get you in trouble. And so that thing stuck with me literally my entire life. Just, you know, having this woman impart this wisdom into me, if you call it wisdom, but I felt like it was at the time. And I think I kind of got later in life, you know, what she meant, but that was very impactful to me. And that happened just on a vacation. So travel, yes, came from my parents, but I can't say that moving abroad came from them because no one in my family ever lived abroad. And, and I don't know if they feel like that's the plan, you know, for my life or anyone else's way. Yeah. I asked Nikki Faye if she had the opportunity to study at university and if she had the interest and opportunity to study abroad. Well, when I was in undergraduate school, I saw the brochure. There are brochures everywhere talking about studying abroad and whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's for rich kids. I clearly can't go. You know what I mean? I'm trying my best to just be here in school. So I didn't, I thought about it, but it just wasn't in my realm of possibilities at the time. Um, but once I went to law school, I uh, actually was working in a library and the brochures were there and I'm reading all the brochures. And there was this one uh, study abroad program in London. And I was like, you know what? I wanted to go in college. I couldn't. And now I really don't have the money either, but I'm going to do it. So I did have some money in my bank account. And I literally took that money that day and bought the flight, enrolled into the program. Didn't know how I was going to pay for the program, but I enrolled in the program and just it really it all worked out. And so, you know, in law school, I went ahead to uh, London on my own without the MapQuest and the GPS. Actually, I think we had MapQuest. You know, you print the thing out. So went ahead and went out to London, spent the summer in London, traveled a lot while I was there around um, Europe, which was great. And I think that for me was so life changing that I wanted to be doing that again, which essentially was living abroad, even though it was only for the summer. But that was my first living abroad experience alone, solo, but I loved it. I had a blast. It was great. And so I think deep down inside, like that was the life I wanted to live. But I hadn't really connected with that until later on in life. So Nikki Faye decided to study abroad during law school, something I wish I had done, actually. So I asked her to describe that experience. It was a phenomenal experience. I thought about being Black a lot because it was London and we were staying in Chelsea. So it's a very upscale part of London. And so staying in Chelsea, not seeing anyone who looked like me, um, it definitely, it sank in, in a real way that I'm a black woman, but I didn't see it as problematic. I didn't have any racial tension or anything like that. But once I did go out on the town, it was so nice, like running into these black doctors and saying like black people doing wonderful things. So I did come across that. So it, it was very instrumental in, to my future, I feel like. And just knowing that this place was there, that people were thriving in a place where there weren't many of them. And so 
I was very happy with that experience. I stayed there for the three months and just literally had every experience I could have possibly had. Um, at the time, I was studying entertainment law. And so I was working, I was doing an internship at a record company, Universal, Universal Music. And it was just phenomenal. Later in life, I ended up working <laughs> at Universal Music again in the U.S. But it was just, it was really a life altering experience for me. Just every single thing I appreciated, just taking in the culture, the politics, because I was studying in law, they gave us that opportunity to see what, you know, the legal system was like there in the UK. And so it was just, it was a beautiful experience. It put me in a position where I knew there was more in life and I could be more, I could see more, I could do more. And what I had experienced just in the US, that wasn't all there was to life. And so it gave me that open door to where I could go into it or I could not, but at least I had the experience and it got excited something inside of me. And so I think deep down inside, I wanted this life, but I felt like I could never have it because I'm an American. I got to go to school. I got to graduate so I can hurry up and get a job so I can pay some of these loans, these bills I have. And I wasn't sure how that could tie into living there full time. And then my family and all that kind of stuff, because my mom, even though she loved the travel stories, like she also preferred for me to be home. So there was that whole challenge of, you know, I still need to be what my parents need me to be. So I think that was part of the reason why I didn't delve into that further at the time. Nikki Faye spent a lot of time in Madrid and I asked her to describe that time in her life. I dated a guy. <laughs> I left this part out. When I went to Madrid, I randomly met this soccer player on the street. And you know how these soccer players look. Just, just keep it real. So I was just like, I have to get back to this place, you know? And so it, it was more of a reality in my life because I was then dating someone who lived abroad. So it became more real to me. And so I started to spend a lot of time in Madrid, um, which I don't know how you got this out of me because I've never spoken about this ever publicly. I don't even think I told many people this in private. But anyway, uh, but that was a part of my life. I would, I would come back if, you know, between uh, at the time I was living in San Francisco and Madrid, like quite often, you know, because then it wasn't me being like on holiday. It was like me living here because I'm with this person. We're cooking and we're living and we're doing like the daily life. And so I could really, really see myself being here you know, for a longer period of time or doing this as a future, like living abroad. So it really became clear to me at that point, that it was a possibility, you know, specifically because you know, now I have someone, you know, I think that kind of makes it easier in a lot of ways. You have a person to say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to walk this road alone. So it made it easier for me to make that decision to say, hey, you know, I could actually do this. Fast forward in life, <laughs> as it turns out, maybe I couldn't do this because the situation ended fairly poorly. And so when you're in a situation where this was really great and now it's really bad and what do I do? Because everyone I know and love is in another country, you know? So that's where it got really real for me. And so I think after that moment, I put it out of my mind, to be honest. And so um, I didn't consider it again for a very, actually, I never considered it again. How I ended up living abroad was just by happenstance. It wasn't planned. It wasn't something that I had been thinking about or, oh, this experience moved me to move abroad. It really wasn't that at all. So that situation kind of changed that trajectory of my life. And I actually never revisited it again until it just came up. The journey to move abroad is 
so funny and interesting for each of my guests. It is never linear. So if you're wanting to move abroad and you don't feel like your path abroad is linear, that's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) I'm not sure if I've met anyone who had a very clean and direct linear journey to move abroad. A case in point would be today's guest, Nikki Fay, And so I asked her to describe her journey to move abroad. Well, my mom died. So there was that. And so when she died, I never intended again to move abroad. It's just I needed to go away to decompress. Like I needed an eat, pray without the love moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I had to get away. So I was you know, the place that I found most peace in the world was in Colombia. And so when I needed that space, I went back there. And so uh, I went there and um, I spent three months there. I returned to my life as normal. Things didn't happen as they should have happened. Some things went terribly wrong um, with my job and stuff like that. So I left again, spent another three months there. And then I was like, okay, so this time I have to go back to work because I have to make money, you know? I was meeting with all these expats and they were like, oh, do you like it here? I'm like, yeah, I love it. They're like, well, when are you moving? And I'm kind of one of those, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want you to feel anyway. So I'm like, oh, and so I'm like, no, I'm not moving, honey. I'm just, I have a job. I have bills. There's no way I can move abroad. Like, it's not possible for me. It's not. I know you guys, you tell me that you're not rich, but I know your families are wealthy. You have plenty of money. You know, you you know, you can move. You, you can do that. That's nice for you. But I can't do it. But I don't know what happened after that trip. I'm on the flight home and I always fall asleep immediately on the flight. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> immediately I'm asleep. But this day I was very restless. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. And then just immediately, like the light bulb went off. I'm moving. And so in that moment, I planned it out in that moment. Like it's I think it's a three hour flight to Miami. So in that time, that three hours, I figured out a I'm moving abroad. B, when I'm moving abroad, which I said six months. And I was kind of planning out how I was going to make that transition. You know, obviously I needed a job. So I'm like, let me figure these things out. So during that six months, which ended up being five, because, you know, when I spend money, I know I'm going to do it for real. I bought the flight and booked the Airbnb. So I'm like, I'm going. And so I spent those five months just trying to put everything together, like selling everything, you know, trying to hustle hard so I could have enough money set aside, you know, pulling money out of savings and these sorts of things, selling things and all those things. And so I finally ultimately moved abroad and I moved to Colombia. And honestly, the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. My life has changed so tremendously since that time. I went from being an employee to an entrepreneur. It's just so many things in my life have been altered so drastically since just making that move that I know it was the right move. It was the best decision I could have made. And I'm very thankful that I made that decision or had the strength to make that decision because I know it's a tough choice for anybody. It's a very difficult decision to leave everything you know and start something new. So I'm very thankful just for the strength and the wisdom to be able to do that because it was literally the best thing I've ever done. I also asked her how she prepared to move abroad. I'm not a very methodical or organized person. So it's odd that I did this, but this was very methodical and organized for me. And so I wrote like a list of the things that needed to happen in order for me to move. So the first thing was I needed at least to feel comfortable, at least $30,000 from zero. Zero. So I was like, in this five months, 
I need to make $30,000. So I turned off everything. The internet, you know, that's like 250 right there. The cable, I stopped eating out. I started cooking the meals at home. I started selling things. I sold my car. Well, I set the car up to be sold for like two days before I left. Um, but I had that already in place. The car was being sold. I knew how much I was going to get from that. So I wanted to figure out how I was going to have an income you know, when I moved abroad. So I started applying for remote jobs. I applied for two things. I applied for a sales job, which is online, remote. And also I applied for um, an English teaching job. So I got both. And so I started those while I was still living in the States, working my full-time job, because I'm like, I need to know that this is going to bring in money. So, you know, you can teach, you know, kids in Asia because it's early in the morning for them. So I would teach from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. I would get ready for work from 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. I would get to work at nine o'clock. I live pretty close. I know everyone's thinking, LA traffic, how did you get there that, that fast? <laughs> but it was a 30-minute commute for me. So I would get there at nine o'clock. I took on another job, which is like a little side hustle, um, being an apartment reviewer. So during my lunch breaks, I would go check out these apartment complexes and review them. And that paid good money too. Um, after work, I would then go home and do the sales job. And in between, I tried to Uber and that didn't work out for me, but <laughs> I did try. But that wasn't just the best option for me. But the sales job was good, you know, but you have to make the sales to make the money. So there was that. And then after the sales job, because I only worked there for three hours, after that, I would teach again. So all these things I was doing every single day. And so for that five months, I didn't rest. I didn't sleep. There was no announcement to say, hey, guys, I'm moving. And it's because I was grieving. My mom had died. I didn't tell anybody. I just kept it to myself. The only people who knew were the people in my immediate circle, like mostly my family, obviously. But also I was dating someone at the time. So he knew. I think that's it. No one else knew. Oh, and my job knew because I obviously I had to leave work. But that's it. No one else knew. So in this time where I spent the six months just by myself, I didn't spend time talking to people. I was just grieving. So when I came back, I was still grieving. So I was just like, I'm just going to do these things to keep myself busy, occupied, and to save for this future that I'm planning for myself. So I did that for those five months. And then when the five-month mark came, I made sure everything in my house was sold or I gave it away. And then I packed up, got on the plane. I, I took two suitcases, one box with my bike, because I really liked that bike. It was so pretty, like a peach little bike. But anyway, so I took that bike. I had, um, I think, uh, a carry-on with food stuff, like seasonings and stuff like that. And that was it. I left. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't make a Facebook announcement, but I also didn't tell people my mom died. So I didn't tell people my mom died. I didn't tell people I was moving. I was just gone. At some point, they may have called me, and I didn't answer the phone anymore. And so no one really said anything. I did tell my dad and my sister. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, I already lived in California. They live in Georgia. So it was no thing for them. They're like, we don't see you anyway. So, and at the time, you know, Columbia is three hours from Miami. So it's not so far. So if indeed I wanted to visit home, probably in the same, you know, frequency <laughs> that I did when I lived in LA, rarely. So I think it just really didn't become an issue for them, you know, at the time. So there, there was no party, there was no going away. And I always say no one cared. But once I, when I go back and I see people, they're like, oh my God, you didn't tell us. And I'm like, I know, you know, I was going through wrong stuff. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, 
You know that I typically ask my guests about the day they left their home country and the day that they arrived in the new country. And it's always very interesting because there usually is a story there. And one of these days, I will make a compilation of these. So I asked Nikki Faye to describe her day of departure from the U.S. and when she finally arrived in Colombia. Whew, that was tough. <laughs> I'm going to try to go back a step because it's a very emotional journey for me. So I had a layover in Panama. So I'm in Panama. I was late because the flight was delayed. So I get to the desk and I'm like, oh, I'm late. Has the flight gone? They're like, oh no, the flight didn't leave yet. And I'm like, oh my God, great. Like I'm going to make the flight. And then I don't speak Spanish. So I'm sitting there with all the people and I've noticed there are not that many people at the gate. It's awkward. So then all of a sudden people start running away from that gate somewhere else. And I'm like, I want to ask someone, but I don't speak Spanish. Like it would have been a good thing to put on my list, learn some Spanish, but I did not. So I'm seeing them run to the gate. And so I go to the counter. I'm like, excuse me, what's happening? The person doesn't speak English. So they go to get someone else. And so the person barely through her English, she basically shows me there's a gate change. Now, this gate, let's say I'm at gate one. The gate that I need to depart from is 55. So... <laughs> Yes. And the flight is late. I'm, I'm like, I'm already late. I'm like, I'm not going to make this flight. And I don't know. I've never missed a flight. So I don't know what happens when you miss a flight. You know, so I'm panicking. So I'm running to this other place. And so I get to the other gate and I'm like, I'm here. Has the flight left? And they're like, oh, no, ma'am, the flight didn't leave. Um, there's a delay. No flights are leaving this airport right now. And I'm like, huh? No flights are leaving? Well, apparently something happened on the runway. There was a pothole or something. So, of course, no flights can leave. So they have to fix the pothole for us to be able to fly away. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. The, the lady's like, oh, here's a voucher. Get some food or whatever. So I'm like, oh, OK, cool. I'll get some food. And she's like, where's your passport? So I go to look for my passport. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I normally have my purse draped over me. So I'm like, I know it's missing. But I was like, maybe in my haste, I threw it in the bag, you know, because I had like a carry. I'm like, maybe I threw it in the bag. I'm going through the bag and now I'm ripping all the stuff out. I'm looking in the carrot. Nothing. The bag is gone. I'm like, and so I was like, maybe I left it on the plane. So I run back to the other gate. Again, I'm at 55. We were at one. I run back to the plane where we offloaded. So I'm like, hey, can you check the plane to see if my purse is there? Because I knew like when I was leaving, I was in a hurry because the plane was, you know, all these things. So they go in, the cleaners go in twice. They're like, there's no bag, ma'am. And I'm like, somebody stole my bag. So I'm freaking out. And so <laughs> I'm never telling this story ever, ever. But so I'm freaking out. There's no bag. And I'm like, oh, God, my life sucks. Like, my mom died. I'm here and I have nothing. I'm trying to move abroad. I was like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. You know, maybe I just need to go home. And I'm like, by the way, the only place I can go is home if I can go home because I have no passport. So I went to like a help desk and I'm like, ma'am, can I talk to Lost and Found or something like that? Um, the lady is very unhelpful. Then she finally walks away. And I'm just like, oh, my God, by the way, from the moment I walked to the desk, I kept hearing go back to the first gate. I kept here. I'm just ignoring it. Go back to the first gate. From the moment, even before I went to the plane, go back to the first gate. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it here. I don't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to wait for this customer service lady to come back. Even I keep hearing, go to the first gate. So finally, I was like, you know what? 
let me go to the first gate as if it was my idea. <laughs> so I go walk to the first gate and guess what's there? My purse. So I reach, it's right in the seat. So I reach just like this to go get the purse. And there's a woman there and she goes, ma'am, don't touch that bag. <laughs> I just start laughing because I'm just like, this is so funny. I was like, if this isn't my mom, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I have one of those praying moms. She's always praying for me. I was like, oh, no, who's going to pray for me by myself? And so sure enough, the sec- literally there are five security guards guarding my bag. And I'm just like, my God. So I just sit down and I'm just like, oh, God, thank you. Like, I didn't need this. Like, my life is already in shambles. So Finally, they call like their bosses or whatever, the head of security. They bring mamas, it's your bag. And I'm like, yes, can I see your passport? I don't have a passport because our passport is in the bag. So finally, they were like, follow us. We go to this um, secure terminal. They send my bag through security. He's like, where's the, the uh, passport? So I, it's in the front pocket. So he goes in the front, front pocket, gets the passport. It's me. And so I get the bag, go back to gate number 55. And guess what? all is clear. And now we're about to board. So I was just like, maybe this is the play for my life. You know? So I called my sister. I'm just bawling like, like crazy. And I'm like, Oh my God, my mom, she's still here. She's still praying for me. So I'm just like, Oh, I'm just having like a serious in the middle of the airport, by the way, because everybody's looking at me. These people, they speak Spanish. They don't know what I'm talking about. And so I'm just like, Oh, going crazy here in the middle of this airport. Anyway, so I board my flight, get to Columbia. And now I feel free. Because now there are no worries anymore. I'm just like, I'm supposed to be here. Everything's going to be all right. So I get there. I get to my Airbnb. And it's probably not what I wanted it to be. But I was just happy. I was happy to be there. I was happy everything worked out. And my life was going to be good. Like, I knew it. Like, I had this feeling. I'm like, this life is going to be good for me. And so I started living my life in Colombia. And it was absolutely amazing. It's as if all the problems that I had and I was carrying on my shoulder, they took them and they were like, here, give those to us. They put them in a locker and I left and I felt so free once I left that airport, like completely free. I've never felt so free in my life. You know, this was meant to be. This is what my life is supposed to be. Whatever my purpose is, I'm going to find it now. So Nikki Fay settles in Medellin, Colombia, and I asked her, what was it like living in Colombia. As clear as I was that this was the path for me, I wasn't clear on what my moves were, you know, what my next steps were. What do I do? How do I now manage this thing that I've gotten myself into? So I wasn't very clear. What I did know is I had those two jobs. I was teaching English. I was doing my sales job. The problem is they were taking up too much of my time because my time zone changed. Now the English started at like eight o'clock in the morning and went till like 11 o'clock. So then after that, I had to pick up my sales job and they wanted me to be doing that all day. And so like, you know, five or six hours by that time, like it's evening. And the only thing I can really do is go for dinner. And I was just like, I didn't envision this being the life. Like, you know, like in the U.S., like working for eight hours, you get home, you eat, it's time to go to sleep and repeat. And so I was like, I didn't really envision this for my life. So with anything, if something's not going right, you have to figure out how you can make a change. So I basically told the lady at the sales job, I was like, hey, I can't work as many hours anymore because 
working this many hours, I'm not having time at all for myself. I'm not even enjoying this place that I'm in. This beautiful country, I'm not enjoying it because I'm stuck to this computer all day long and I'm not really, I'm not handling that process well because I'm like, if I'm gonna do this, I can go back to my company. <laughs> I had a great job, you know, working in corporate, it was great. So I'm like, and it was easier because you can spend a lot of time not working <laughs> when you're at a corporate job. So I was just like, that was easier. I had time to plan my little escape and everything. So I, I told the lady, hey, I need to change. I can't work all these hours. And um, and she fired me. So I was like, well, OK, I have a lot of free time now. <laughs> um, and then the English job, you know, I just I don't know. I guess I needed my freedom. And so I got fired from that job, too, because I kept missing classes. <laughs> these poor kids are coming from classes and I'm nowhere to be found. So I got fired from that job, too. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not supposed to have a job. And so I was like, well, now I need to go back into that same mode of thought or process that I was in before I left. Let me figure out a plan and let me execute something different, something that actually works for my life. But I just spent a lot of time thinking and walking around, which is beautiful because I couldn't do it before. So thinking about what I would do with my life, I was trying to book another Airbnb because there were these very Instagrammable Airbnb, you know what I'm talking about. And so they were always booked solid. And I was like, this things are always booked. That is so obnoxious, you know? So I had to like go from this one, I can get two weeks, then I get a week there and then I can go back to the nice one. And so it just registered something with me like, well, that's a great business. Like, and I did the math. I'm like, wait, if he's booked solid, let me do the math on how much he's actually making. And I was like, okay, I need to find a building because I need to do this too. He had a really large building and he had them into two levels, like a kind of like a duplex. So one side, he had two floors, both were he was just renting rooms. So they were all full. The other side, which was kind of like, you know, the bottom side of the duplex, beautiful also. And he also had the two floors there. And so if I'm doing the math, I'm like, oh, my God. So I started looking for properties. And so I ended up that was my first try at entrepreneurship. I got into Airbnb. And so I did that for a while. And then I had this feeling, I'm like, you know, this is great. But I thought in my mind, because I lived abroad, I didn't need to travel anymore. But I was missing that part of my life. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop everything. I have people to manage the Airbnb properties. Everything's good. I'm going to leave. And so I called a travel agent at the time. So ironic. But I called a travel agent and I was like, hey, I want to go somewhere. I want to be gone for three months. Um, here's the budget. What can you do? And she's like, well, where do you think you want to go? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I do want to go to Morocco and I do want to be in Paris for Valentine's Day. Why? With my single self? I don't know, but I did. I thought I should, you know, make myself happy. It's a lover's day. I love myself. So those two things I want. And so what she did, she booked me to visit eight countries in Africa, eight countries in Europe. I'm assuming she made the connection from the Morocco and Paris. I was like, that wasn't really my intention. I just wanted to go to Morocco, but okay, cool. And she was like, hey, are you okay with Ghana and Kenya? And it was a lot of other countries, but eight and eight. And so I was like, and I kept going back and forth, by the way, because, you know, it's cheaper to fly to Africa from Europe. So she had me zigzag and not spend this time in Ghana. Then I'm going back to London. But yeah, so I did that. And one of the trips was to Kenya. And oh, my God. I got here and there was a circuit at the time. I don't know if you had this when you first moved abroad, but there was a circuit of us remote workers. So we were just hanging out, going from country to country. And when we would go to a country, we'd tell the other, hey, look up this person. She's going to make sure you have a good time, whatever. So the girl here I was connected with, we linked up 
And man, this girl showed me an amazing time. And then I ran into an expat because I had been calling her for coffee. She's like, oh, sorry, I haven't been able to catch up with you for coffee. But uh, why don't you just come over? And I was like, okay, fine. And she was like, where are you staying? And I told her where I was staying. And she was like, no, 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 pack your bag and come here. And so I was like, okay, you know, it was an Airbnb. I was like, fine, whatever. I don't know this lady, but I'm like, okay, she's an expat too. She could be too bad. So I packed up my stuff, went to this lady's house. She was like, you're staying here. And she was like, I still don't have time for coffee, <laughs> but you can stay here. It's a safe place. You know, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to pay me anything. Just enjoy yourself. So I stayed with her, traveled around Kenya. And then once I left, I was like, this was great. I was like, this is what I need in my life. I was like, I'm going to come back here for a year. I'm going to go back to Colombia, pack up and come here for a year. So I finished up my trip, went back to Colombia. I was like, let me continue the Airbnb business. So I was like, okay, let me get some more properties. So I'm trying to get these properties for whatever reason, nothing's working. Not only are the properties not working, but I'm also being kicked out of my apartment which is nuts. All these things happen at once. Like also one of the places that I had rented for Airbnb, I got evicted because a couple came and they had a big fight and they called the police and they were a married couple with children. So I was just really shocked that these people would be the ones to get me kicked out. But anyway, I lost pretty much everything. So I put everything in storage and I just left, went to Kenya. And the first day I got here, lo and behold, you know, that thing that ties you to a place. <laughs> I met a guy which worked out because the girl that I had stayed with when I came back, she was like, oh, don't worry about finding a place, just stay with me. And ironically, the very place that that lady let me stay with her in, I live in that same building right now. <laughs> Crazy, right? Nikki Faye has been living life and going around the world. So I asked her, why did she decide to leave Kenya? I left after four months. <laughs> it didn't work out because I thought Kenya was a bit expensive. You know, like the lady was letting me stay with her and she was like, I can stay here as long as I want. But you still need your own place. You can't just be you know, staying with somebody um, just for an extended duration. So I was looking for a place and it was just too expensive. And I didn't want to do a situation where there were a lot of people like doing roommates and stuff like that. But I was like, eh, I didn't really move abroad for that either. So I was just like, it's too expensive here. So I moved to South Africa because South Africa was much cheaper. And so, but I was still dating the guy. You know that you're waiting for him to say like, oh, just stay with me. That never came. So I ended up moving to South Africa and um, it was much cheaper, but I just didn't like the, I didn't feel safe, you know, most times. And nothing ever happened to me, but I didn't feel safe because of the, you know, there's a high crime element there. And so I stayed there for about six months. And then from there, I went to Turkey. So as Nikki Faye is living her life and exploring and country hopping, really country shopping, deciding on which country is the best fit for her, she finds herself in South Africa and then eventually in Turkey. So I asked her to describe her time in South Africa and why she decided to move to Turkey. And I want to give a bit of a trigger warning here because this next portion, although not graphic, does describe some violence. So South Africa, I lived in Johannesburg, which was great. I love the environment there. I love the energy. 
Um, it's such an amazing place, but I don't like feeling uncomfortable because I had a health issue. And so I'm walking down the street trying to find a hospital and people are yelling at me, get off your phone, get off your phone, because someone will snatch it. And I was like, look, they can have the phone right after I finish finding this doctor. I don't care. I just need to find this doctor. And so I never felt comfortable there, even though I absolutely loved it. I still love South Africa. I just don't feel a, a, a high level of comfort there with the security issues. And so I left there and I moved to Istanbul. Istanbul was great. It was so cheap to live there. I live in a beautiful area. I love the people. I love the lifestyle. I love the environment. All of those things. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, and I was having a great experience up until um, a funny thing is I had these friends. I had a group of about five black girlfriends, uh, three or four um, black guy friends. All the girls was like, we all got punched in the face randomly by Turkish men. And I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible. It's never happened to me, so I'm okay. And then uh, the guys were like, two of the guys were like, yeah, we got stabbed randomly by Turkish men, you know? And I'm just like, what? Like, that sucks for you. I'm having a good time though. Oh, and then my turn came. So one day I was walking home from wherever, got to close to my apartment. There was a guy blocking the door standing in front of the stoop. And I'm, I don't know Turkish, but I'm like, excuse me. You know, he stood up, he punched me in the face and then he spit in my face. Yeah. And that was that. So I was trying to figure out what I needed to do. So I called some friends of mine that her one of my friends, her husband works for the Canadian embassy, not the American embassy, but still I was like, he can still help me. So I call him and I'm like, hey, what do I do? And he's like, go to the police. And I'm like, great. Went to the police. And it was like a serious investigation, by the way. Like, Christine, there was this was a whole to do. So the guy came and he's like, well, where where were you at? And where did he go when he left you? He went to those buildings. He looked at the cameras. He saw the video. So he saw exactly what happened. Um, so then he took me to the police station. I had to look at a lineup. It was like a whole experience. And so as he's like, give me your passport. So I give him my passport. And of course, you know, my passport is an American passport. It says the United States of America right on the front and it's blue. So, you know, I'm a citizen. Once you open it up, you can also see where was I born in the United States of America in Atlanta, Georgia. And he goes, can you cook me some African food? And I'm like, for one, I just went through this trauma. For two, clearly I'm from the United States of America because you have my passport. And three, I'm just so taken aback that now I just want to go. So I go home and I'm like, you know, I hope you can find the guy, whatever. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So he keeps calling me every night, asking me to come to my house to cook me these African meals, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, it just gave me a really bad taste in my mouth. And even though I love turkey, like outside of that experience, I couldn't get past it and it was too much for me. So I, I ultimately left. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you have, please support this labor of love because it is labor. Nonetheless, you can support this solo indie podcast by becoming a member of the Flourish in the Foreign Buy Me a Coffee membership, where you can subscribe to support the podcast on a monthly basis. You can also give one-time support via Buy Me a Coffee as well. And you can do either one at buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign. Support this podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you listen to the podcast. And if you listen on Spotify, you can also leave comments on each episode. 
and even answer some of the poll questions I've created for certain episodes. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and even the colleagues you kind of like. This podcast continues to exist and thrive due to listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued support. Now, back to the episode. I was in Turkey for about six months. And then the guy who who I had been dating the whole time, he had visited me in South Africa and he visited me in Turkey. He was like, hey, you know what? It's just a lot going on with you. He was like, why don't you just let me pay for your visa and you just come back to Kenya? And I was like, okay, cool. And then he added the caveat and you can stay with me. So I was like, okay. So I came back to Kenya ultimately. I asked Nikki Faye, wouldn't she finally feel settled in her life abroad? particularly in Kenya. (laughs) I can't say that, you know, because in my heart of hearts, I'm a nomad. So I can't say that I've ever had a moment where I'm settled, I'm rooted here. It it has been four years, it's been four years. So it's been four years straight that I have been here um, without living somewhere else. I always have this thing, Georgia's home. You know, I lived in California for 15 years. So, and I still, at that time, I'm like, yeah, Georgia's home. Where are you from? Atlanta. (laughs) So I've never had that feeling of home in any other place. Um, because I think home is where you are from. You know? So I've always seen it as in that. Um, that's my home. However, a piece of Columbia that I left out is I started a company there, a travel company. And so once I was settled here in Kenya, I continued that company in Kenya and also you know, started in some other places as I traveled along some other places. So, And so the business in Kenya is just really good because I feel like I have a connection to this place, even though it's not home. I feel like I have such a connection that I want to share it with the world because I feel like as black Americans, you know, we don't have the history. We don't have the records. We don't know the names. We don't know the families. But at some place in our history, we were from here. And so I feel like every black person should come here to visit. And so that's really my mission to get people to come here. So that's a piece of my travel company that I really love. I handle travel all over the world, but I love the piece where I'm bringing black Americans here and me sharing this piece of what I feel like a piece of me, really. I don't know it. I'm not familiar with the history of it, but a piece of me, I feel like is here on this continent. And so I love sharing that with people. And I love sharing with people the fact that you can actually own a piece of what was at some point your home. In the U.S., for me and for all of us, there can be a lot of boundaries, things that we just can't do. Here, I own a travel company, I own a construction company, and a coffee export business. You know, I couldn't have done that in the U.S., I'm pretty sure. So for my construction company, we basically... We purchase heavy equipment and we bring it here and we lease it to governments and to uh, developers. So I'm at home. I went to the States home. When I say home, I mean Atlanta. So I'm in Atlanta and I am um, I need to buy some parts for the machine. So I call up this parts company and I'm talking to this guy and he's like, which which company are you with? And I tell him my company name and he's like, no, no, no. This company, this company, this company, which one are you with? Which one do you work for? And I'm like, I don't work for any of those companies. I have my own company. What's the name? No, I haven't heard of that one. And I'm like, sir, this company is we're based in Kenya. And he's like, what? Oh, okay. So once he wraps his mind around that, 
now he can help me with these parts. But when I looked at, you know, when I when I heard him say these things, I'm like, that's a limitation. You know, only these companies have these contracts. Only these companies, these specific companies own those machines. I can bet, I don't know who owns them, but I can bet you, I'm willing to bet money that the companies are not owned by people who look like us. You know, this is clearly a good old boy system. Even the way he sounds, it's Atlanta, so you know what he sounded like. So I'm like, even with his voice and his mannerisms and the way he treated me as a woman, for one, and obviously a black woman, I was like, I know what's behind all of that. And so to be able to now own that here, when clearly it would have been a barrier for me in the U.S. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to work for one of those big companies. They have these contracts and I would manage, you know, these contracts for them. And I'm like, yeah, but that's me now. You know, I do. You know, I own that company. So I'm, I'm certain that that could have never happened you know, in the U.S. Yeah, I had my travel company, but I didn't start in the U.S. I started in Colombia and it's it's moved around to all these different countries. But I'm like, I'm certain still that couldn't have happened because if you look at well, most of the people, even who own travel companies, they usually work for one of the big ones. You know, they're just like, you know, hosting under one of these big ones. So I'm just like, I'm also certain I couldn't be in that space and exporting coffee. Like, really, that couldn't. Ha even when I look at all the exporters here, you look at the list like it's public and most of the people who are the exporters of coffee from Kenya do not look like us. So. What my mission here is, it's even though I love like planning travel everywhere and helping people experience the world here, it's like a special, it has a special place in my heart. Number one, sharing this place with you, allowing you to see this continent, most of my clients for the first time, and also sharing these opportunities with them where you can be investing. I'm like, honestly, and I don't have anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with like, you know, these high end bags or whatever you buy, but like you can take that same, just don't buy your purse is this year and you can take that money, invest it into something here and it builds wealth for you. It builds a legacy for you. Yes, our legacy was stolen from us, but this is your shot to get that back. It's your chance. And so I want to connect our people with this. And so that's why, even though, you know, I do travel for every, everywhere, this place is very close to my heart because it's like I have a connection to it and my people also have a connection to it. And I want to connect those dots for all of us. So that's why I love what this place has done for me, you know, because I can't say I would have ever been in this position if I had stayed in the U.S. I'm certain I wouldn't have been. I would have stayed at that job. I would have tried to be promoted, you know, get the corner office. When I have the corner office, you go, you don't want to go up to the next floor. And now I want to be on the top floor, you know, with the corner office there. Like, that's the goal. So I'm certain this would have never occurred for me. I would have never become an entrepreneur had I not left the U.S. Like, so that's why I say this move for my life has been completely life altering, life changing. And that's what I want to impart into every person that I can who also looks like me, who needs these opportunities. Belonging. This is a subject I definitely want to delve in deeper in future episodes because it's a reoccurring theme I find in for so many expats who are around the world. And so I asked Nikki Faye to tell me if she feels a sense of belonging in Kenya or anywhere that she's lived. I'm just going to be really honest. And normally I give like a fluff answer here, but I don't know why I'm giving you my whole truth to that. But, you know, I feel like 
belonging is something that needs to happen through internal work. I don't think that's something you need to go each and every place you go to trying to find this sense of yourself. In a sense, like your belonging, it should happen on the inside. Like no matter where I go, I feel comfortable. You can take me to Antarctica and I feel comfortable. You know, I was just in Malaysia last week and I felt very comfortable. I bounced over to Thailand. I felt very comfortable. I'm happy internally. You know, the thing that brings me joy every day is the fact that I woke up today. I feel like this gives me my belonging because I belong here on this earth. The whole earth belongs to us. So I have a level of comfort when I come in. Not saying that every place is meant for me because I've talked about how all those places it was not for me and I moved on. So not saying that I need to be in every place, but I don't need to find my peace here. Like my peace, this, this city or my peace. Where, where do I belong here? Because if I'm being honest and let's just talk about Kenya, I don't belong here. Go and talk to the locals and they'll tell you you're a foreigner. There's a term here they call Mazungu. It means white person, but they call me Mazungu too, you know, because essentially they're saying you are a foreign person. You do not belong here, period. We're black. Yes. And that's great. Good for you. But we don't belong together. You are American. You belong. To, and I want them to, I want to be like, can you tell the Americans that I'm American and I'm supposed to be there? Could you please? Because they keep telling me to come here, but you're telling me to go back. Anyway, if you're looking for that sense of that familial sense or that sense of belonging, I think you're going to be lost because I don't know if you can ever find that in a place outside of yourself. You know, this is our earth. This is our world. We're supposed to be here. Whatever our purpose is, we'll find it right here in this place. But I think that purpose stems from who you are on the inside, all the things you've learned, all the things you've been through up until now. Those are the things that helped you get to the place to where your purpose is so you can find it and actually execute whatever that purpose is. So those are the things that I think we should focus on. How can I make a difference here? And so that's what I focus on. Instead of trying to fit in, which I do not, <laughs> I am a Mazungu. I am a foreigner. I do not fit in. I do not belong in this place. So what I try to do is no matter where I go, I want to make a difference. How can I alter the course of someone's life in the way that mine has been altered by just being here in this place? How can I do that? For me, I look to opportunities to give back. Typically, no matter where, I, even in Colombia, I look for the people who look like me because We've all had a shared past and a shared history to how we got into these places. So I want to help those people. So that's the first thing I do. So in Colombia, I went and found those people who look like me. How can I help you? What can we do collectively to make things better for you here? And the same thing here in Kenya. How can I help you? What can we do collectively coming together as a shared unit in order to make a difference here. And so that's what I'm doing here. And here I've started an organization, a nonprofit that helps women, helps develop the potential of women and helps to build up women in their communities to help bring women forward. This system in Kenya um, is, is built on patriarchy which is a lot for me and for us because we've come you know, from the U.S. and we feel like we've passed that point. We've gone through that and we've overcome that. And so I want to bring a little bit of that that we've gone through, what we've learned and bring it here and share it with the people here. And so that's what I've done. And in Kenya, there's this statistic that I really don't like. It's 30,000 babies died last year from poor hygiene. 
not because they had a disease and these are newborns, not because, you know, something happened at birth. It's just hygiene. They had diarrhea and they died from that. So we're working to help women in poverty overcome this, you know, through providing them one training on how they can, you know, how to raise their kids, how to deal with a newborn. And in addition to that, providing them the hygiene materials they need, because we don't think about this a lot. But you think and I don't have any children, but if I did, I would go I would be so excited. I would go to the store, I would buy all these things that I need. I would make a list. I would do a party and we'd have a shower and people would buy me even more things. And as I go along, as I'm getting ready to have this baby, I'd buy even more things for myself. We have to think other people can't do that. So what do they do? How do they feed their babies? How do they clothe them? How do they wipe them when they're dirty? What if they have an ear infection? What do they do? So we've been working with an organization to rectify the situation. Um, another situation is uh, their children, these girls, <sighs> they have been victims of gentle mutilation, early childhood marriage. I mean, just the list goes on. All these girls, they're little girls. They've been victims of all of these terrible atrocities. And so we're working with them just to make sure they're educated. They have the tools they need. Um, we actually went a couple of weeks ago to speak with the girls and see how they were doing. And they were just so happy and loving and just so smart. And just it was just astounding because these were the girls who had no place to go because this is the summer. You know, they should be home. There were over 80 girls still there because they had no place to go. So it's trying to help girls like that to be better, trying to help women. There's a culture here of being taken care of by men. And I'm not going to go into the detail. You have to when you are being taken care of by men, you have to do what those men want you to do. So there's that culture here because there's a problem with the shortage of jobs here. So we can't create the jobs. But what we can do is what we're doing is trying to teach them how to use the vehicle of the Internet and how to learn how to do those jobs or create knowledge in them or teach them things so they can learn how to do these internet careers because now, yeah, we can't create a job, but we can teach you how to do something else where you can have a job online and assisting them throughout the process so they can have internet and computers and those types of things. So those are the things that I do. I wouldn't say for a sense of belonging because I have that internally, but for a sense of building a community that I'm living in that's giving me so much. Because just being honest with you, I have a house help, I have a cook, I have a driver, I have everything. I, I don't do, I, there's nothing that's not done for me here. I don't even make my bed, you know? But what am I giving back to this community that's given me so much? And this is my way of connecting with them. So yes, I'm not gonna ever be Kenyan. I'm not gonna ever be from here as far as I'm concerned. But I do what I can to be a part of the community in whatever way that I can. And the way that I've chosen is to give back. So that's how I have a sense of belonging. Sacrifice, grief. A lot of people don't really want to hear all of that when they're talking about living abroad. Some people only want to hear about the piña coladas on the beach. And no matter where you move abroad, whether it be some tropical island or Iceland, you will have to deal with the effects of sacrifice and undoubtedly deal with grief of all different types of things, situations, just different flavors of grief, basically. And so 
I asked Nikki Faye to describe some of the sacrifices she's made and some of the grief that she has had to endure abroad. Well, I think with any sort of transition, you're going to have loss. What did I lose my family? You know, I'm not close to them. And at this point in my life, because when I was in L.A., I was like, eh, I'm kind of living my life. I don't need to be around family. But now that I've gotten older, it means more to, you know, they mean more to me. And so, you know, I do miss that piece of my life. Also, I see my friends, you know, in their careers and, you know, they're doing the same thing we did back then. But they've moved up in their careers. They've gone to companies that, you know, some of them I wanted to go to also. I had planned for my future after this. I'm definitely going to go, you know, work at this company, that kind of thing. And most of my friends have gone to that company. So I had those dreams and aspirations. However, <laughs> what I have now is different. Um, but I can't say I don't miss the old life. I miss my friends. I miss the trajectory I would have had, you know, but for moving abroad. However, all the wonderful things that I have now, like I'm thankful. Um, it's a great life. So it's giving me a freedom and a liberty and access to things that I wouldn't have ordinarily had access to. I brought like a lot of my family here and to see my family who, and I'm talking about some of these people have never left the States. And here they are in Kenya visiting me. Like the first vacation they've ever gone on in life is to Africa, you know, to Kenya here to visit me. And so that brings me a lot of joy. And it also brings me a level of joy connecting with them and seeing how they connect with this place and to see them fall in love with this place. It's just a beautiful thing. And to see them living in my daily life is just so outstanding to me. So in a way gives me that peace back. And I think, honestly, the family members who come to visit me, even the friends, I feel like we have a higher level of connection because now we have this shared thing that we've connected through. And so I do love that. So yes, I've lost, I've experienced great loss and not just what I had, but what I could have had, you know, based on where I see my other friends and what they're doing. But I also see a part of my life that they'll never have and they'll never experience. And, you know, they'll never live this sort of a dream life, you know, as so I call it, but they'll never have that. Like, and some of them, even though they have these great careers that I would have had, like some of them still haven't discovered a life that they love. Some of them still are like, hey, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And it's not accessible to them. And so, yes, I do grieve what I lost. Um, I grieve not walking in the places where I walked with my mom, you know, and these sorts of things, or, you know, being able to drive by the places, you know, those kinds of things. I grieve those things. And when there's a birthday party and when there's a holiday and people are coming together, I grieve during those moments because I am missing those moments. However, I do have a new plan because I've decided, hey, for the important moments, you guys have to let me know and I'll be there. So that's my new life plan to still connect even though I'm far away. So you know, my dad's birthday is coming up. It's a surprise birthday party. So I hope this doesn't come out before the birthday, but <laughs> but he's having a birthday party. So I'm going, you know, my aunt was having a party. I showed up. My aunt had a surgery. I showed up. My sister had surgery. I showed up. So now it's given me a greater level of connection to my home and to my people. Yes, I still grieve, but I still have these very happy moments that I'm able to have a little bit of both worlds. And so that makes me happy. Soft life best life. I asked Nikki Faye about her opinion on Black girl soft life and whether she feels she lives a soft life. 
I do describe my life as a soft life because, and I'm going to explain to you why. I recently went to visit my sister. She had a surgery. I was the cook. I was the caregiver. I was the cleaner. I was the, we have these bodas. Bodas go run errands for you. I was the boda and I was just like, oh my God, this is a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to do everything for yourself, everything. And I remember these days, but it's so far behind me that it was difficult to be in that moment where I had to do everything. Cause even when I come home, my sister, she cleans, she washes my clothes, you know, she does all the things, you know, so she cooks for me. But so I mean, this, this very opposite experience where I have to take care of myself and her too. I'm just like, oh my God, this is hard. And I don't see, I, I know because I lived it, but I wish women didn't have to experience this. Like, cause not to, I mean, if you had to add on children too and a husband, can you imagine? Now you got to cook for him and clean for him and the kids are running around and playing and you got to try to play with the kids and spend time. That's a lot for anybody. So I hope the U.S. government will make some changes. Um, and how they structure the system, some of the systems in the U.S. so they can get some help and relief. But I guess they don't care because they all have help and they don't know what it's like not to have help. But but a soft life for me is once I came home from that trip, because I didn't really acknowledge it before I left. But when I came home and when I needed something, you know, she's in there cooking me lunch now. You know, she's cooking the food and then the other woman is cleaning and Oh, I need something. I call the boda, you know, hey, can you go and pick up my medicine? Living this lifestyle, it it lets me know I'm living the soft life. You know, when I get ready to go somewhere, there's a driver. They're waiting for me outside like wealthy people, like, you know, rock stars. There's a car waiting outside, you know, for them with a driver. You know, you see these t television shows where the driver's outside and waiting for them to come out and he opens the door like that's my life, you know. And I'm like, for me, that's the soft life, because the only thing I have to do in my life is focus on everything high level, which is running my businesses, making sure I plan my trips. <laughs> like, where am I going this year? You know, and making sure that's spaced out accordingly so I can also hit the family events and that kind of thing. Those are my biggest issues. I don't have to worry about the little thing, even making doctor's appointments and things like that. Like I can call my doctor on the cell phone right now. That's a soft life versus my sister. I'm like, hey, you should try to see an osteopath because I just found this really great one. And he can help you with your bag. And she's like, oh, no, I have to go to the doctor and get a referral. But it takes me two months to get in with him and all the whole things. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like this is nuts. In comparison to me just picking up my cell phone, like, hey, doc, my back hurts a little bit. Like, what do you think? You have time today? Oh, yeah, come on in. Yeah, kind of thing. Or the doctor's coming to my house. I had some health situations a few months back. And the nurse is coming to my house, you know, to take care of me. And I'm just like, this is the soft life, <laughs> you know, buying a bag or whatever. Like, I'm happy for them. But for me, this is the soft life, being able to live a life of freedom and being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And knowing deep down inside, I have discovered a life I love. And that's the soft life for me. Dating abroad. Y'all love it. Y'all love dating abroad, so I asked Nikki Faye about her experience dating abroad. I think dating abroad has been quite amazing. I always say this. It's actually not accurate. I always say I tendered in 70 countries. I had visited some countries before I started tendering, so I don't know the exact number, but I've tendered in a whole lot of countries, 
And that in and of itself is a great experience for me because, you know, as much, and, and this was back then, I haven't tendered in years, so I think it's Bumble and Hinge and all this kind of thing now, but, you know, it was such a great experience of just getting to know people in different cultures for me. So, and, you know, I know people are, oh, you know, Tinder's a hookup site, but I wasn't like hooking up. Um, I was just experiencing different people from different cultures. And for me, it was a way to connect with the locals when there, it wasn't an easier way to connect. You, you could go to a bar and maybe you strike up some conversation or, you know, you see who, which expats are around and available, but dating like brought you a different kind of deeper sense of how to connect. Like, what do you guys do? Like, where do you want to take me? You know, it, it, it's very unique. I found in every single place, like what people actually wanted to do and engage in and how they wanted to relate to you or how they wanted to entertain you or whatever. It was just very unique. I thought in every place. And so, so just having an opportunity to experience people, I thought was the amazing part about dating around the world. And I know people are going to have their own thoughts about this, but having that experience really helps you with life, you know, because you're able to hear different perspectives, even on dating. Say he's a jerk. Yes, whatever. But you still learn something from him in that situation. How do people like you, similarly situated in your country, handle situations like this, a dating situation, family situations, even dining out, like how do you normally approach this? Do you dine at home? Do I come to your parents' home? Like, how does this work? If we're on a date, like, are you taking it seriously to the fact that I need to meet your parents next weekend? Are you in love with me after the second date? Like all these unique things. So, you know, after you go and have these experiences, you're like, well, wow. Cause I'm accustomed to these experiences in the States where not only is he not telling me he loves me, but he's probably ghosted me and I'll never hear from him again. So <laughs> the fact that someone is still coming back and they love you and they want to be with you, you know, how do you manage these things? It's like, I think you gain a lot of wisdom through that. And I know it's a simple thing, dating and people, you know, feel however they want to feel about dating. Cause I know a lot of women who are like, I don't date. I don't want to be bothered with men, but I'm just like, really it's enlightening. And now they have the Bumble BFF. So now you don't even have to go on a date. You can go out with, you know, potential girlfriends and hang out and have a ball and really have the same experience without it. So for me, it's been the connecting with other people, seeing how they interact with you and seeing, you know, what the experience is like and being able to take situations or take something or note something you learn from all those situations and use it in your life in that country and outside. So those are the things I find beautiful about dating abroad. I asked Nikki Faye about being Black abroad and whether being abroad has changed the way she identifies within her Blackness. Well, I have to say 100%, like it's changed. My view of Blackness has completely changed. I think for one, just living on the continent of Africa and yeah, Blackness is different. You know, you don't have that same. I think... The experience that I most connect with is being a Black American woman, you know? So because I find Blackness is not the same everywhere you go. Right now, like now in my life, I cherish that connection that we have, you know, amongst each other, not just with Black women, Black men too. You know, that connection, we see each other. It's, I'm going to speak to you. I was in Thailand the other day and I was at a buffet and I was like, you know, I need to put this food on my plate real quick, but I'm going to speak to that black man who just came in. He just so happened to get to me first. And just having that shared connection, that shared experience, like that to me, that black African-American experience is really to me what I feel the most connected with when it comes to blackness. Because here um, in Kenya, it's not like they're not looking at you. There's no connection. I've even run into Africans, not just Kenyans, but Africans outside of 
Africa and Europe or wherever. And they're like, I don't know. Why are you looking at me? I don't know you. And I'm just like, oh, OK, my bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought we had a no. OK, cool. But so I think that has readjusted my thinking when it comes to blackness, you know, and then how they don't really identify as black, because some of them who have gone to the States, they're like, oh, I went to the U.S. and learned I was black. And I'm like, you learned you were black, like clearly, you you know, but they're like, no, I don't, you know, identify in that way. Not when everyone around you looks the same. You're just Kenyan or you're just your tribe or whatever it is, you know, they relate to. So it's like there's a, it's a completely different experience that we have versus what they have. And I think our shared experiences have is what have been what bonded us together. We've all struggled together because if you notice, you go back to the workplace in the U.S., you know, the janitor is coming to the barbecue. You're like, hey, you know, I'm the VP. He's a janitor. But hey, come on over. Like, we're cool. Like, he's my BFF, all that kind of stuff. And I'm still connecting with them and at, on every level because we have this shared experience as black Americans. And so I feel like that particular identity is very different from just our blackness, you know, because we definitely share this skin color with a lot of different people all over the world, but we don't have the shared connection, the shared culture, the shared oneness that I feel like a black Americans have with one another. So, you know, being able to connect with black women, is just for me, it's just amazing. Like last night, in a sea of blackness, I knew exactly which one was mine, you know, because <laughs> there was one girl, she, because uh, it was mostly Kenyans at this event last night, we held last night, but uh, she walked in the room and I was like, that one's mine, you know, because we have this shared connection. I know what you look like. I know your facial features. I know how to identify them versus, you know, the other blackness that walks in the room. So I think black women, black people generally, we have this shared connection of blackness that not everyone who has the same color share. And I wish they did, because I'm like, I'm always acting like, why don't y'all have this thing? Like you see Kenyans in another country, you don't feel like, oh my God, hey. And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they what they were telling me they relate to is, you know, I, I don't like it so much, but it is what it is they relate to each other based on socioeconomic status. And which for us, we're like, no, you know what I mean? No, you're my people. And I learned that the hard way. Like, no, you're not my people because you share this same hue. You're not. And so now I've, I've learned to not behave that way as if you know, we share this thing in common of Blackness because it's not just about Blackness. I think it's more about shared experiences over time. Wellness. I asked Nikki Faye, what is her personal definition of wellness? And if that definition and that practice of wellness has evolved during her time abroad? I think for me, it's evolving. I think wellness, just like you said, it's a whole lot of different things. It's layered spiritually, financially, socially, mentally. All these things, I think they come together to form like a whole person. And so I think I focus on those things, you know, for, well, of course, I, I look after my health. I'm vegan now. I also get my regular massages. I go to an osteopath now. If you don't know what an osteopath is, you have to see one. These people are amazing. But I go to an osteopath now and they help release tension in your body. And, you know, that for me is also wellness. And I try to make good decisions as far as other humans are concerned, how I relate to people. It's about evolving how I think about people and how I treat people and how I live my life and, you know, how the decisions I make for myself. Even yesterday, I was 
this is such a quickly evolving process for me. I was, I had like a little tiff with, you know, a friend of mine. And so I was like, you know what? Wellness for me is not having this issue, you know, lingering and hanging over my head. Wellness for me is fixing it because this is my friend. This is somebody I love. Like, why would I let some tension come between us? Because that tension, it, it eats you up. You know, it causes stress. It causes sickness and ailments to happen to your body because you're holding all these things inside. So wellness to me is releasing those things, you know, becoming whole in every single way, spiritually, like physically, all otherwise. Like, you know, I'm going to the gym regularly. I'm taking care of myself. And um, if I'm on a long flight, when I get back, I have to have a massage on the each way once I land and once I return home. So I have to do those things. And wellness for me is, you know, having the things that make me happy, you know. So when I do go to the U.S., I don't know if you do this, but I come back with like huge suitcases <laughs> filled with things that make me happy, mainly food stuff. So, you know, these things for me are wellness. These are things that provide total and complete wholeness for me. And so that's what I think of when I think wellness and a whole, me as a whole person, I need to be fully living at my best. Thank you so much, Nikki Faye. You are delightful and I appreciate you sharing so much with me and the entire Flourish in the Foreign audience. If you are interested in keeping up with Nikki Faye, you can via social media. I am on Instagram. My personal page is um, at Nikki Faye the Wanderer. Um, two Ks, the Wanderer. Um, so at Nikki Faye the Wanderer, my business is called the Hyso Collective. So you can find us everywhere at the Hyso Collective. So Instagram, the Hyso Collective. Our website is thehysocollective.com. Um, we do travel and we also do these passion trips that I'm so passionate about is bringing people to the continent of Africa, visiting Kenya. And also we teach people how to invest abroad and also how to become an international entrepreneur. So and we also do some relocation stuff too. So people who want to relocate either to Colombia or Kenya, we also do that. So it's the Heiso Collective. Um, my Facebook group is called um, Blacksit Tribe. Um, we've been around a long time. So we were the first Blacksit and then a whole lot of people came after, but we are Blacksit Tribe and we, we are there to help people to move abroad, people who look like us to move abroad. So you can come there and get all your questions answered. We also have another travel group called Noir High Society uh, Travel. So if you want to do some traveling, um, even if you're not high society, I always post about, you know, whatever I love. So if I'm visiting a place, I love it. I post about it. I'm a big fan of luxury on a budget. So I find the most amazing hotels at an amazing price so that everybody can enjoy luxury. Because I feel like if you're traveling, you might as well be living in luxury. You know, don't stay somewhere that's like your home. <laughs> like stay somewhere better than that. So I'm all about the luxury. So Noir High Society Travel on that's a Facebook group if you'd like to join that. But everyone is welcome. Whether you want to move abroad or you just want to travel, we got you covered. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you'd like to learn more about this guest, please check out their show notes page at flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes. Be sure to grab the Move Abroad with Intention guide to not only aid in your leap abroad and making sure that it is successful, but also if you're already abroad, to keep you engaged and to keep you accountable as you cultivate this new life abroad. I've also curated a playlist of sorts that goes with the guide 
I made a whole list of episodes of this podcast that I think will be really helpful as you complete the guide. You can find that list in the description of this episode. And I'd also suggest that you grab the Build a Business Abroad guide if building your own business abroad or taking it abroad is something that interests you. It's not for everybody, but for those of you that are interested in it, I highly suggest you grab that guide. And I've created a playlist for the Build a Business Abroad guide as well, which is basically just season three of this podcast. Season three of this podcast was a mini season all about building a business abroad. Be sure to check out the Flourish in the Foreign blog and the Flourish in the Foreign bookshop powered by bookshop.org, where you can support local bookstores and flourish in the foreign at the same time. Check out my list of books to help you move, live, and thrive abroad. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Flourish in the Foreign YouTube channel for when I drop new videos and follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Flourish Foreign. You can also follow the podcast on LinkedIn at Flourish in the Foreign. And of course, subscribe to the podcast via whichever platform you listen on and leave a review. As always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. The thing about aging is your relationship to time and people changes. So when I left, my nephew was a baby. My sister didn't have any kids. My sisters were in college or a late teenager. And now I go back and I spend time with my sisters, my nephew. I see this other generation coming up. I think about my own aging. Do I want to do that here? Who's gonna be here? Maybe I will retire in America. And then, oh my God, did I pay into social security long enough that I could even get medical? Like these are all boring things, but they get increasingly important as you get older. And I didn't, you know, you just, you're not thinking about that in your twenties and you don't even, I mean, I didn't know I was gonna stay this long. So um, that is a tension I constantly live with.